finishing up a series on worship. I love this series because it's really caused us to slow down and figure out what this thing is that we do or are supposed to do and be about. I believe God made us to worship. In fact, I believe it's our, our, our primary purpose and calling in life is to be worshipers. I think God made us. It's the most normal thing someone can do is to worship. I mean, it's as simple as the idea of somebody who, who goes to a football game and you see something exciting. The first thing you do is want to lift your hands up because it's what we do, right? Or a baseball game or your, your granddaughter's ballet or whatever, right? You just want to whoop and holler, right? Why is that that we do that? Because it's in us to want to glorify something. God made us that way to be glorifiers. I love it. We've been talking about what worship is and what worship isn't. So what is worship? Worship is that thing of making something bigger. Literally means to magnify or ascribe worth-ship to. Literally, worship means to, to, to give greatest value above yourself to something. Primarily God. The thing that separates us from God's creation is one thing, choice. We all have an opportunity to choose to worship or to not worship. We get to choose who and or what we worship, whereas dogs, cats, fish, trees, clouds, they are already worshiping. We get the choice of what and who and when or if we worship. We were created with this beautiful choice, and that's when God gives us this place to say, I want to give you all the glory and you all the honor because God made us that way. Mm, I love this. Worship has a way of getting our minds and our hands off of ourselves and lifting them up higher than our circumstances. I love last week we got a chance to see Paradossi, the, the gals from downstairs and their ballet company came up here and we put stage extensions on and they came and they, they danced. And I think I had the most fun watching you watch them and, and watching you see a part of worship that was so nonverbal but it, was, but it was a part of everything that they are. I saw tears rolling down your cheeks. I, I saw this sense of like, yes, what they're saying. Yes, that. There was just something about it. You know, I just, to me, it's kind of funny. We, we, I, I think last week was a really amazing time. I, I don't know, just with Paradossi and the chili cook-off. What are the odds we could pair those two things up, right? <laughs> Ballet and chili. Could it get any better, right? So it, but it turned out to be an amazing moment that we got to see just this amazing expression of worship coming from literally the tiptoes of a bunch of young people saying, our God is good. And it was fun watching you watch them and, and some of you sing the songs and be a part of that whole journey. Worship is when we give God the big deal moment. When we say to him, he is so good. He is so, so good. If you have your Bibles, open it up to the book of Luke. The book of Luke. This morning, I want to talk to you about worship as we close up our series. But I want to talk to you specifically about intimacy in worship. Intimacy in worship. I want to give you a little disclaimer, though. When when you say the word intimacy in worship in church... There's really two, there's really a polarized, polarized, right? There, there are two groups of people. When you say intimacy and worship, there are some people that go, finally, 
geez, you're finally going to talk about intimacy and worship? Good. You know, like, finally I just get to get crazy. I'm telling you, there are two kinds of people. And the other kind of person that's like, intimacy, you can't say that word in church. It's just weird. Come on, move along. Move along, preacher. Talk about money. Don't talk about intimacy, right? (laughs) Because it's just, there's two kinds of people, right? And and I'm telling you, so intimacy, I remember being in my 20s and going to a church and listening to some um, well-intended worship leaders stand up there with their guitar or piano or whatever and say, let's all just, everyone close your eyes, she said. Let's all just curl up on the lap of our Father, In intimacy, let's allow him to just wrap his arms around us and hold us close. And I was like, "Mm, it's hard for me. I didn't have a frame of reference that understood being on my dad's lap. My dad was kind of weird, you know. So it was like I, I I couldn't wrap my mind around the idea of wanting to go sit up on his lap. And I have a worship leader saying, no, that's intimacy. And allowing him to wrap his arm. I don't even, I can't imagine those kinds of things from the perspective of somebody being held like that. I can imagine it now as a daddy doing that, but, but I couldn't understand that. And so we'd get to church and there would always be these, these words of intimate kind of things. It always made me feel a little uncomfortable. I'm, I'm probably the only one. I don't know about you. But I always felt a little weird. It made me stop and think that there must be something to this intimacy thing that I don't really know, that it's probably good, that, that I just probably don't understand, but I'm not so sure I want to. But I probably should. Does that make sense? See, maybe you're there today. Maybe you're at a place in your life when you're like, look, Lance, why, why would you waste today talking about intimacy and worship with the Father when I have such awkward feelings of my relationship with my own earthly father and I don't really know how to make those two things make sense? Maybe that's you today. And if that's you, first of all, you're safe. I'm really glad you're here. <laughs> Let's unpack it a little bit and see if there's something there that we all can learn from this thing. See, because there's this thing called intimacy that we're supposed to be able to walk into that's supposed to be awesome. It's supposed to be a freeing thing. It's supposed to be a healing moment. It's supposed to be this, this moment in time when we get to say like, yes, that's it. And, and, and be able to walk into this, this magnificently freeing experience. I mean, why else would the devil try to keep it from us? But why else would the devil try to twist and contort even the word intimacy to mean something more than just what it's intended Intimacy in and of itself just simply means a building of a close friendship, a relationship that's burgeoning as opposed to something that's just sexual. But we've kind of turned it into something that's just sexual, and so we talk about it as this is awkward. Man, if I was the devil, I'd mess with that all I could. Because I think there's something to intimacy that we're supposed to figure out in this walk with God. And then if we did, maybe there was some healing we could find. Amen? Let's pray. God, would you help us today as we embark on this journey to hear and maybe understand a little bit more about this thing called intimacy and worship? I pray for my friends, Lord, who get thrown off even by that word intimacy and and, and maybe even feel uncomfortable when it comes to our Father. Lord, I know that there are wounds that are real and they're hurtful, and I pray that you bring healing to them. I pray today that there might be an illumination of, uh, of truth that could help bring clarity and maybe even healing to those hurting, broken parts of life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
I remember going to a conference, uh, gosh, and around that same time frame, I was a worship leader. And so I, as a worship leader, I was trying to tell people about this thing called intimacy, and I didn't really know it. You know, so I remember going to this conference and listening to this uh, conference speaker talk about intimacy and worship. And, and again, I was getting thrown off by the word because the, the word always just kind of made me, made me feel uncomfortable. But the idea of intimacy and worship, and I remember this lady said, listen, here's how I view the phrase intimacy and worship. She said, I don't view it as what we've always viewed it as or what you see on the movies or TV. She said, I take the word intimacy and, and, and slow it down a little bit and turn it into this. Not, I say intimacy, but she says into me see. That intimacy is simply into me see. In other words, God, I, all really intimacy is is you availing your heart to God. And she said, what I love is when I, when I get intimacy with worship, it's like I have this moment where I avail my heart to him. And get this, then he avails his heart to me. And there becomes this exchange of open purity and love and healing and and, and all that stuff. Somehow that, that's what intimacy is to her, as into me see. Even that in and of itself kind of cries out that's just a little, little fearful perhaps. Maybe, not, maybe doesn't feel safe. I'm just here to tell you there's something about this into me see that God wants us to begin to understand a little more clearly. Intimacy. Close personal, close familiarity. Luke chapter 7 is a story in verse 36. Uh, it's actually, some of your Bibles actually title it weird. It says this, it's called the Simon and the, Simon and the Sinful Woman. How would you like to go down for all eternity knowing, knowing that you are the sinful woman? Simon and the Sinful Woman. Is that, I mean, that's the title on some of your Bibles. It says that in there. I want to talk to you this morning about somebody who experienced intimacy, somebody who showed and expressed intimacy, somebody who experienced the worship with Jesus that was perhaps different than what we've seen before, somebody who was extravagant in an expression of worship, juxtaposed to someone who was stingy in their expression of worship. Literally, the same time frame, inches from each other, there's someone who was absolutely free in expressing worship and somebody who is absolutely bound and withholding it. How is it possible that we could be in the same room, in the same moment with the same Jesus, and have someone expressing this extravagantly lavish form of worship, and then someone that same inches from them feel bound and held up in his own expression of worship? Let's see. Luke 7, 36 says this. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to come to his home for a meal. So Jesus accepted the invitation, sat down to eat. A certain immoral woman heard that, there was, that, that he was there and brought a beautiful jar with expensive perfume. She knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet. She wiped them off with her hair she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. Pause. Uh, might bear a little explanation. Uh, sounds a little crazy, that whole scenario just in and of itself. Uh, let's put some uh, cultural context around just that paragraph. 
First of all, Jesus, the Bible said, was invited to this home of this Pharisee, this religious zealot kind of guy. And it says they, they, they went down to, or they were going to eat dinner there, right? Now, in the Middle East at that time, there would be a table that would be in the middle of the room. Could have been a rectangle table, could have been a round table, doesn't matter. But it was probably 12 inches, maybe 9 to 12 inches off the ground. So really low to the ground. And usually there were pillows all around the table. And you would go up there to eat. You would lean up on your left arm and you would eat with your right hand, right? So that's how they typically ate. So everyone's feet were facing away out towards the back. So it wasn't like the woman who, who began to weep on Jesus' feet was right beneath him, right? He, she was back there somewhere, right? So Jesus is looking forward at the, at the brothers in front of him, right? The, the, the Pharisee guy and, and whoever else was at the table. Jesus looking there, leaning on his left hand, eat with his right. Now, why did they eat with their left hand or kneel on their left hand and eat with their right hand? I don't know. All I know is... Uh, <laughs> Google it. I don't know. It says it right. I tried to find something, man. All I know is it's, it's whatever. All right. So there you go. Sorry. Did my best. Verse 39. When the Pharisees, someone's going to text me, I promise. Well, here we go. When the Pharisees, when the Pharisee who was the host saw what was happening and who it was, let me back up. When the Pharisee who was the host saw what was happening and who the woman was, he said to himself, this proves that Jesus is no prophet. If God had really sent him, then he would know what kind of woman was touching him, for she is a sinner. Then Jesus spoke up and answered his thoughts. Hmm. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. All right, teacher, Simon replied, go ahead. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to another. But neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose it's the one for whom the canceled, who had the lar- the canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash my, the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss of greeting, but she kissed my feet again and again from the time I first came in. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins are they, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love, but a person who has forgiven little shows only a little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Man, I love this. I love this story. It's a perfect juxtaposition of someone who was absolutely unbridled in all of her zeal next to somebody who was absolutely held up and bound all in the same uh, square footage on the planet. Literally all in that same moment, the same time frame with Jesus, we see someone who's walking in freedom and someone who's walking in bondage. Is it possible that that could be the case for us here today? That there might be somebody here sitting in this room right now that is experiencing the, the greatest sense of freedom and joy and, and the ability to be able to say, God, I avail myself completely to you. And at the same time, here in the same oxygen we're all breathing, someone feeling bound up because of something in their life that seems to be holding them back. 
Maybe it's a sin issue. Maybe it's a forgiveness issue. Maybe it's something in your life that you just feel shameful about. But there's something in your life that's holding you back and it's keeping you from the freedom that God intended you to walk in. I don't know what it is, but maybe that's you today and you find yourself in that moment thinking like, gosh, it's me. Lance, how did he know that? How, how is he seeing that in me? Can I tell you right now, if that's you today and you're one of those ones who feels like I want to, but I can't, I wish I could, but I should, I can't, and you have this crazy war going on in your head. Can I tell you this? I'm so glad you're here and you're super normal and you're not crazy and you're not the only one and not everyone who's here can see your things that you have that you're trying to protect. Can I tell you this? If you're breathing and blinking and you have those thoughts in your head, you're super normal. The issue isn't that you have things inside your life that make you feel filled with shame and guilt. The issue now is what you do with those things and how you allow those things to keep you and compel you towards Jesus, not from him. And the problem is, is that we allow those things to somehow, the same two people, we have in this story, we have Simon and this woman, this no-named woman. Can I just be honest with you and tell you that it was God's special grace, his divine favored grace that kept her name from all of Scripture because he loved her. There's something about this moment where God is just saying, listen, these two people who were desperately wanting Jesus, one overtly and one, quite frankly, inviting Jesus into his world quietly. He didn't want no one to know I think these two people both had the same passion and desire for Jesus, but only one was willing to really let it out. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you find yourself wanting to and, and everything. Can I tell you this, man? Just take a step. Look, look how close they were in proximity, she and he. And right next to it, let me tell you this, Jesus is close to you. Jesus is close to you. He brought you here this morning to hear this message. He loves you. Simon was a Pharisee. What's a Pharisee? The word Pharisee literally means set apart one or separated from. Literally, these were religious people. Uh, they, they were the ones who, who would dot all the I's and cross all the T's and make sure everyone was doing it right, make sure all the wrinkles were out of their clothes, did everything just perfect because they needed everyone to think and know that everything they did, everything all the time was always, always, always correct. They were just super uptight. All the time. They had to be perfect because that was what a Pharisee did. Paul himself said that he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Man, they didn't make mistakes. They didn't hang out with sinful people. They hang out because they were a separated group. Could you imagine the, the title of your occupation being this? Separated from. What do you do for a living? I'm separated. Translation, way better than you. That's who I am, way better than you. I mean, literally, that's what they believe. They believe they could, by the way, it was in their crazy pharisaical mindsets that they actually are the ones that were behind Jesus getting crucified. They had it so close to them, they couldn't see it. This Pharisee was somebody who, who, who knew the rules, man. He knew the Bible. He knew, he knew the Bible in his head. Oh, what I want to know is, is what in the world Jesus was, or Jesus was doing at his house. Why, why did that Pharisee invite Jesus to his house? 
Did he invite Jesus to his house to interrogate him? Because by the way, there are, there are three other accounts of a story very similar to this in John, Mark, and Matthew, I believe it is. And these three other circumstances, they're all about one time when Mary was at the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Mary leans down and washes her hair with Jesus' feet. That, 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 this isn't not time. That's two separate times. That particular time was at the end of Jesus' ministry in a city called Bethany. This was the beginning of Jesus' ministry at a different time in a whole different town with a whole different person. Two things happen. Two women wash their Jesus' feet, dry them with their hair, which has its own explanation. But, but here we find a situation where these two people, Simon, this Pharisee, Jesus calls him a Pharisee, says he's, a, he's happy to say he's a Pharisee because he's a set-apart one. What's he doing? What's Jesus doing at that Pharisee's house? Was it, maybe the Pharisee was curious. Maybe the Pharisee just wanted to know a little bit more about Jesus. Maybe he invited him quietly to say, hey, look, come over. I've got a couple questions. I don't know. I think, moreover, what in the world was a prostitute or somebody? Actually, the word here, it says a woman with an issue, right? Or whatever it was. Literally, in the Greek, it means um, woman of the city. Translation, it's slang for what you and I might say, woman of the night. Literally prostitute, right? So that's what it meant, that she was a woman who had stuff. She had some things going on, man. She, she, I want to know this. What in the world a woman like that was doing in a place like that? Get this. The Bible actually says, Jesus is talking here, and Jesus says, um, ever since I walked in, she'd been washing my feet with her tears. <laughs> Translation, she was there before Jesus. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe she was a cousin. Maybe she was a sister. Maybe she had been there before. Maybe she wasn't a cousin or a sister and she had just been there at the Pharisee's house. Just a thought. We don't know, and speculation can take you down some weird road. But I'm just simply here to tell you this, is there are these two people from two sides of the track at the same place. And Jesus shows up there to talk to them about something pretty significant. Hmm. This is this picture of someone who had an opportunity to worship. It's someone who took it and someone who didn't. It's a picture of someone coming into your house, of Jesus coming into your house, and somebody saying, that's it, this is my time, I'm going for it. And somebody who in that same house says, Jesus is in my house, i got to keep him from me because I'm afraid if he knows me, then he'll know me. I just want to let you in on a little secret. Jesus knows everything about you already. I promise. He already knows everything about you. You're good, bad, ugly, all that kind of stuff. He already knows about it. Here's the good idea. You can just actually talk to him about it and get free yourself. Amen. Here we go. Let me tell you a couple of things. What keeps us from intimacy worship? I'm playing on the words. What, what, what keeps us from intimacy worship or intimacy worship? Number one, not prepared. What keeps you from being intimate with Jesus in your worship is not being prepared. This is the, that, that Simon shows up to the situation with Jesus, or Jesus shows up to Simon's house. And get this, uh, she, he, he was unprepared. He didn't have someone to wash his, the, the feet of the guests who came into the house. That was just a cultural norm, right? You might have at your house a basket at the front door where people take their shoes off, right? That's kind of a cultural norm. If you see a basket at the, shoe, at the thing, you take your shoes off. Uh, some people, whatever, in, in, the, in the Middle East, when someone would come to your house because there wasn't pavement, there was, well, dirt, and so somebody, usually the lowest ranking person in the house, would be there with a the bucket washing people's, washing the, 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 the road off somebody's feet when they walked into your house, right? So they would do that. It's pretty common. 
I think it's amazing to me. We know what keeps us from intimacy and worship is being prepared. Being actually ready for Jesus to show up. Some of us just like, we're not prepared for anything. We're just kind of like, hey, hey, whoa, whoa, what was that? That was an emotional thing. And then our worship turns into nothing more than an emotional experience. And then we start to get to church and we hear, or, or wherever it is that you are in your worship expression, and then you start to judge whether or not Jesus was there based on how you feel instead of what it is the Bible says. See, when you're not prepared for worship, you start allowing your emotions to determine what's right and wrong. See, the Bible actually says when two or three are gathered together, he's there in your midst. Do I, can I even remind you that has nothing to do with your emotions? Whether you feel good or not. And yet some will say, God's here because I feel it. Or God's not here because I don't feel it. If we, if we know what the Bible says, we can walk in that truth. Amen? That was a little mumble. No amen there. Let me go. Uh, no, let me tell you what else keeps us from intimacy and worship. A prideful heart. A prideful heart keeps us from worship. Pride. A prideful heart. This is a guy who, 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 I love it, Jesus says here in the Bible, it says that Jesus read his thoughts. And there's part of you that thinks, well, that's miraculous, like Jesus could read his thoughts. Or maybe he read his sneering look from his face. <laughs> maybe it wasn't miraculous at all. Maybe he could just see the disdain and disgust on this guy's face when he looked at the woman. You've seen that before, haven't you? You clearly have not done it. Look down your nose at someone. Can I tell you that there's nothing that will keep you from intimacy and worship faster than pride? Nothing. Pride always makes you look better and them look worse. Pride always makes you a big deal and them disgusting, whoever the them is. Pride always makes you say, well, they're not playing that song right. They're not preaching that word correctly. They're not doing this right. I'm clearly the right one in this scenario. And allow yourself to be the biggest deal in the room. And then you never really get to walk into intimacy. Pride will choke. Pride will choke that into me see worship faster than anything. That's what the devil did when he left heaven. He actually got kicked out of heaven. Not prepared for it, a prideful heart. What else keeps us from intimacy and worship? Allowing our thoughts to get the best of us. I think it's amazing to me what kept this guy from intimacy and worship was literally allowing his thoughts to get the best of him. He began to focus on, well, if Jesus really was a prophet, if he really was God, then, 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 then if he really knew her, if she was any better, if he or she... Listen, I'm telling you what, what the, this problem with this whole thing that's keeping him, from, keeping him from Jesus was his thoughts began to take control of him. His thoughts take control of him. Let me, let me tell you, in the middle of any kind of a worship moment that you have, whether you're sitting at home alone or whether you're in a large group of people or whatever, your thoughts can steer you off course faster than anything. I can tell you in intimacy and worship, you must take captive your thoughts. Because if you don't take your thoughts captive, what's going to happen? Your thoughts are going to take you captive every time, specifically in the area of worship. Why? Because the devil doesn't want you to do what he was supposed to be about. If he can steer you off course, he will in a flat second. So how do we fully enjoy intimacy and worship? How do we actually walk in intimacy and worship? How do we get to a place where we can experience into me see worship? Number one. Now I'm going to have a little disclaimer here. My wife and I had a discussion about this point number one of how to actually walk into to this moment because we have a little bit of a disagreement on it, right? So I'll just let it out. Here, let me tell you number one. If you want to experience intimacy and worship, listen to me. Look at me in the eye, every one of you, except my wife, all of you. Know this. If you want to experience intimacy and worship, show up on time. Show up on time. 
I, I, I'll joke in the side. I'll joke in the side. When you show up on time somewhere, you know what happens? I wrote this down so I didn't get my emotions. Stress is reduced in your life, expectancy raises, and willingness increases. Why is showing up on time have anything to do with it? I don't know. I don't know. All I know is this, that any time like the, the priests in the, in the temple would, would do worship in the Old Testament or they would leave from Galilee and go to Jerusalem, like there was this long journey, this preparation that took place. And can I tell you this? Most often people come to church and we get here, we get here to, to song number four. We get here to, I don't know, that preacher, get up there and do your thing, man. I'm telling you this, what, what happens when we don't get there on time is we expect the guys on the stage to make worship happen for us. Is that all right? Get, get, get there on time. And, and I'll just be so bold as to tell you this, get everywhere on time. Why? Because you get there less stressed in Jesus' name. Don't give me that look. I know, I, I've seen that look. Some of you are trying to give me the look. I'm going to look back at you, right? Well, listen, I, I'm telling you... <laughs> Thanks, Dan. You're a friend. I can feel it. Uh, all right, I'll move on. You want to enjoy intimacy and worship? Arrive early. Number two, come prepared. Come prepared. Come prepared. It's so important. You know, it says that she showed up with this vial of oil, right? We don't know what was in it. We know from the other, the other passage in John, Matthew, and Luke, or, or Mark, that, that there was this alabaster jar. It was a jar of this expensive perfume. We know that Mary poured that same perfume on Jesus' feet. Literally, it said it filled the whole room with fragrance, and it was worth a, a year's salary. Whatever your year's salary is, that's how much it cost, and she dumped it out. If you want to experience intimacy or into me see worship, let me tell you this. We have to come prepared. you you got to come prepared, ready for that to happen. And not waiting for someone to get you to that point. I love the fact that this woman showed up with something in hand. <laughs> it's like going to a fundraiser without your checkbook or your debit card or whatever it is you're going to pay with. You ever done that before? You go to a, you go to, I've done that before too. I've been invited someplace to a, like a, a fundraiser. And I'm like, they start handing around the envelope and I'm like, oh, right? Like, how do you go to a fundraiser and not have something to give, Right? Because you just feel like a dope. You're just like, I don't know, I'm going to scribble something here. Yeah. <laughs> don't tell me you've not done that, right? Uh, all that to say, right? That's like, coming, that's like coming to worship unprepared. You come to worship unprepared. Do you realize what Sunday service is supposed to be? Sunday service is supposed to be every single individual life coming together to share what happened with each other throughout the week. We're all supposed to come together and say, you know what happened to me? Let me tell you where God showed up and where I saw him move and where God blessed and where God challenged and stretched and we grew. And this, it's, it's really just a moment. We all come together just to say, let's get together and, and enjoy fellowship. It's more than just get up there and sing some songs and hear a preacher. We come prepared. Are you, you come prepared to church? Do you come prepared to your place of worship that you do that? Do you come prepared, ready to tell someone what's happening? See, most of the time we come to church ready, prepared to, to ask someone for something. It's okay for that to happen. But, but do we ever come prepared to give something? She came with an expensive bottle of something. She came prepared to give it. She came prepared to dump it out. She came prepared to just pour it out. Pour it, you, know she, you know she knew who she was going to pour it out on? She knew she was going to pour it out on Jesus' feet. There's no question in my mind. She knew that she was going to pour it out. Maybe she was thinking about his head. I don't know. But she came prepared to give. 
When's the last time you came to anywhere ready to just give? I'm here. Everything I'm doing is for you. I'm coming to just full on give it all. Everything I got. My resources, my time, my affections, everything I got, I'm here to just give. I can tell you this right now. We're all going to walk into a moment here in a few days. It was brought up earlier by Chad, just the idea that we're heading into this Thanksgiving thing, right? And I can tell you this Thanksgiving is one of those emotional moments when some of you better start getting prepared today, right? Because you got that person coming that you just, you know what I'm talking about, right? You know that person. I don't even want to put a name on that person, but you know you're going to be in the same room with that person for a long period of time, and you're hoping there's enough people for you to avoid them, right? <laughs> Some of you might be the person. <laughs> Not me, right? So, I <laughs> yeah. Are you coming prepared to that day? I'm not talking just bringing food. I'm talking prepared. Prepared to go there and show Jesus to people who may never see Jesus. They know you're a Christian, man. You've been talking about it for a long time. My question is, is, do they see it in you? Will they watch you be gracious? Will they watch you be generous? Will they watch you give up your seat first? Will they watch you show Jesus? Will, will, they, will they watch you in those moments when that awkward conversation could happen that you humble yourself and hold your tongue because you're quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry? See, if we set ourselves up, but, but, because too often we set ourselves up for, for, for a horrible mistake and Thanksgiving becomes this thing we hate and these families like, we have to tolerate and just get through. Or do we set ourselves up for, for success? You set yourself up for worship by being prepared and by being willing to come and give all you got. Number three, if we want to experience intimacy in worship, Number one, we need to arrive early. Number two, we need to come prepared. Number three, we need to come humbly. We need to come humbly. I think that's so important that we come to worship in humility. It's, it's amazing to me, literally. You know the Bible says, get this, in 1 Corinthians, it says that a glory of a woman is her hair. The glory of a woman is her hair. My son thinks that about himself too, but I can tell you that. Oh, I'm sorry. That was bad. Do never, don't tweet that. There we go. The glory of a woman is her hair. Can I tell you this? There's something special about that. This woman knelt down and she cried tears. How much tears, how, many, how, like how, how much crying would have to happen for there to be enough fluid to actually wash the feet of somebody? Right? I, I just don't know. Until you stop and imagine what her life must have, well, she must have had to endure. Maybe she invited in on her own self. I don't know. But there must have been some sort of a gusher she must have been, I mean, what was going through her mind? Maybe the guilt and the shame. Maybe that I wish I could have taken this away. You know what I love about this? Is that she, she just availed all she was to Jesus. She was literally crying out all that she had on Jesus' feet. She was just like, Jesus, I, I just give you all. I, I just feel like she wouldn't have gone to his head because, one, he was at the table. But, two, I just feel like this part of him was like, she didn't feel worthy of it. I mean, she ran to the door and she greeted him at the door like the lowliest of servants to wash his feet. She began washing his feet and kissing him. Literally, the foot was somebody, it was, it was the most lowly, disgusting. It would be like going into the bathroom for someone in our culture and doing that. It was bad. It was horrible. She did it because she just wanted to, 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 to show her gratitude and what she felt of herself. Talk about feeling unworthy. Talk about feeling like she couldn't bring something to the table. Here's what she brought. She brought her humility. She brought the very core essence of who she was. 
And she poured it out on Jesus' feet. The Bible says she wiped her hair. She wiped his feet with her hair. Imagine what that looks like, right? So if the, if the glory of a woman is their hair, how, how much of a humiliating gesture might that have been? For her to take the thing that glorified her literally, I wrote it down so I didn't get it wrong. She literally placed her glory beneath the feet of Jesus. She placed her glory beneath the feet of Jesus. When was the last time you placed your glory beneath the feet of Jesus? When was the last time you placed your glory, your, 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 your pride, your honor, your, your who you are beneath the feet of Jesus and said, Jesus, not my will, but yours be done. To you be the glory in all that I am, God. I give you everything. Let me tell you, if you want to experience intimacy and worship, start there. I don't care what people see. I don't care what people hear. I'm just giving it all to you, God. I'm not worthy of it. I place my glory beneath your feet. Why don't you take a look at Jesus' response, then we'll be done. Luke chapter 7, the last part of verse 43. That's right, Jesus said. Look at what it says in verse 44. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, pause. I think sometimes we miss, we miss truth because we just read too fast. She turned to the woman and she talked to Simon. Literally, she turns and she looks at him and she's beginning to describe everything about, she's talking to Simon, literally saying, Simon, you're at my back. I'm giving you, this woman, all of my attention as I address you. What is that saying to someone who, who Jesus is now facing, saying, I see what you're doing. Let me tell you, if you want to experience intimacy and worship, you begin to watch the, the, this humility get poured out on the feet of Jesus and then him turn and face you. Because there was nothing more important at that moment to Jesus than her. I, I love this worship. Worship is this equitable exchange. Worship is this beautiful, equitable exchange that we give to Jesus and Jesus gives to us. And I do not know how that thing works out, but there's something about an equitable exchange. And worship isn't something we do because he's sitting up on some throne saying, come on, a little bit more. Try a little harder. Jesus is standing at the door. The, the Bible says in Revelation, I stand at the door and knock. Literally, Jesus is there saying, come on. Come on. And we open the door and we just say, he goes, yes. I turn and face you. He sees the stuff. But can I tell you what Jesus did with her stuff? Jesus didn't say, I saw who I saw who you're with. I saw what you did. I saw this, and let me name him and name this and do that and do this. You know what Jesus did? I think Jesus got right to her heart. Here's what he said. I She didn't even ask for forgiveness. But maybe that was what was crying out of her heart. There's this beautiful exchange that some of us have been missing in this into me see worship. It's been some sort of a dutiful expression that we feel like we gotta do to get to the sermon, that we gotta do to get to something in our lives. But there's this beautiful exchange. Can I tell you this? Worship is this beautiful communication between us and God. 
And some of us haven't waited long enough for him to face us. And find that freedom. And find that place of peace. Can we pray? Jesus, you're so good. God, there's no one like you. I don't know how that works, Lord. It doesn't seem to make sense. There's times when I read my Bible and I think, why would you waste your time? And then I bump up against the fact that you just love me, that you created me. All my, all my leanings and temptations and mistakes, all that stuff, God, you made us just like we are. You know us. Father, you're just literally waiting for us to come to you. You said that those who are carrying weary, heavy burdens to come to you and find rest. I gotta believe that our friend, this woman, came to you. She came early. She came prepared. She came humbly. And you turned and faced her. Maybe this morning you're sitting in here and you're at a place and you don't feel worthy. You know the mistakes you've made, maybe even as early as this morning. Right now, can I just say to you, come to Jesus right now. Just come to him and say, Jesus, I give you me. I want to have that freedom of intimacy. Maybe you've never experienced salvation with Jesus, and this morning is one of those moments when you get to say, Jesus, I give you my life so that I can be in right relationship with you and come to a saving knowledge of who you are. Maybe that's going to happen today. You say, Jesus, forgive my sin. I give my life to you. Fill me with your spirit. You're so good, God. In Jesus' name, amen.